invite you to open your Bibles this evening to the book of Deuteronomy again, Deuteronomy 27. Begin reading in verse 11, and then we'll move a portion of the way through chapter 28. Blessings and curses. There will be another section on curses. What God is doing here is as the second generation of Israelites, those who did not die in the wilderness, who now are adults, have come of age and are about to enter into the land, he will give them rules, guidelines, laws for how they are to live in that land so that the land of Canaan may be itself a a city on a hill, a shining beacon of the peace and blessing that comes when a people, a society are committed to righteousness and the glory of God. Deuteronomy chapter 27, beginning in verse 11. And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. When you have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin, and these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice, do the stranger, the fatherless, and widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's bed. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Now, It shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. 
Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground. In the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you, the Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods and serve them. Thus far the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, you have surely revealed, even in these short verses, a glorious design as to how we are not to act, even in the secrecy of our own hearts, behind closed doors, but to commit as a people together to write the law in such a way that we are all governed by one standard, one canon, one holy, infallible word for all eternity. O Lord, grant to us hearts that are wrapped up in a desire to please you, and in being blessed as the fruit of obedience, be a light to the nations. O Lord, this is our desire. We pray that you might grant us wisdom and strength and holiness and humility to do all that you have asked, we pray in in your name. Amen. One of the problems with many in the church today is we have no idea what to do with the law. Uh, Part of that is because we have drunk deeply from the fount of the false premise of secular humanism, that the American experiment, the experiment of the West, and the liberty that comes not in simply inventing laws, but in establishing laws that are built upon God's laws, that man can get for himself wisdom and power and strength. We must roll back in our minds that baggage, that intellectual, spiritual, and chiefly covenantal bad thinking. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, God is making a covenant with the people of God that they may do two things, that they may never flee the sacrifice of the altar and reject the blood shed for them. That is, the grace of God unto salvation by faith. And that they would never reject the law of God that is a light, not that brings justification, but peace. 
peace. And not an infallible peace. But a hard-won, hard-fought, constantly wrestling against indwelling sin, peace. Now, two piles of stone have now become two mountains. Last Sunday evening, we looked at the pile of stones upon which the Israelites were to write the law. They were to take the Ten Commandments and write for themselves so that they may know them and so that they may look at those and say, all we who are gathered here, this land, this border, is marked by this law. If you wish to be a citizen of this country and you wish to do so legally, which is the proper way, you have to take a class and a series of courses in which you actually study the Constitution, something we don't even teach in our schools anymore which is interesting. And you must pledge and make vows to uphold the law of the land. Every nation should do this within their borders, expecting that those who are there keep the laws of that land. In fact, when you join this church, you pledge your life, in essence, to uphold the constitution of this church, which is... This, the Bible, and the Westminster Standards. Now, if you're an officer, that's a different kind of commitment. It's a, it's a whole nother level. But even if you are coming into a Reformed church, you at least understand because we've written it down for you. Let me tell you, don't ever join a church that doesn't have it written down. Do you know why? Because you don't ever know where you stand. Neither of you do. The reason these things are written down is so that we both have access to it. So that you can come to us and say, hey, by the way, you're not doing that paragraph very well. Could you straighten up a little bit? The reason why God wrote it down was so that all men understood their standing before him and he with them and they with one another. And even as they looked at the law as God's righteous standard, look at this last part of chapter 27. Cursed is the one, verse 26 of chapter 27, who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. Uh Uh-oh. You have just sealed your fate by saying amen. And you don't have to say amen to actually seal your fate, by the way. God holds all men, whether they believe in him or not, or trust in him for salvation, to that law. The law of righteousness, his law, that is a reflection of his created glory and beauty, his ontological perfection. And so even within the law, there is this point that probes our hearts and says, you brothers and sisters must also always look to the altar. For as as sure as you live and breathe, you will violate the law of God. You may not sleep with your mother. Yes, that's in there. Yeesh. Or your sister. But you may lie. You may lust in your heart. You may commit a heinous offense. And for this reason, you must flee to the altar. What Moses is doing, what the Lord is doing through his prophet, is preparing Israel for gospel, for law, for life in the land, that they may be a nation unlike any other. And in some fashion, the correlate of Israel is the church. And in some fashion, 
the correlate for Israel ought to be every nation of earth. Every nation ought to strive to be a place where those in which they or the nations in which people reside are blessed by righteous laws. And the way that we ought to understand this is in the language of the covenant. All men are in covenant with God, not just Christians. All men, because they are made by him, are in covenant with him. And you are either keeping covenant or you are violating the covenant. Either you are receiving covenant blessing or covenant cursing. Let's look at those two things tonight, covenant cursing and covenant blessing. Now, I admit, sometimes I wish this was not just a Sunday school lesson, but a lecture series on the law from the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, if you want your children to be prepared for civic life, because every one of us grows up in a nation of some kind, and we are not only members of a family, of a church, but a body politic, the best place to start and learning how to be a good citizen of the planet, I don't mean that in a sort of globo way, is that you know the law of God. And the best place to start is the book of Deuteronomy. Now here, as Israel is getting ready to go over into the land of Canaan, God calls Moses to align the 12 tribes, six in on each mountain, on two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, Six tribes were to stand and proclaim blessing, and six were there to represent cursing. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin were on Mount Gerizim, and then on Mount Ebal, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. Now, how was that division determined? Well, the first six tribes mentioned were the sons born of the free women, Rachel and Leah. The rest to maidservants, except for two, in particular, Reuben, who did sleep with his father's wife, and Zebulun was the youngest of all the tribes. Moses saw not only in them, but in all the tribes, disobedience coming. Moses wasn't a pessimist. He was a realist. And he find, as I mentioned already, in that all-encompassing curse, verse 26, that he was pointing their faces to the altar of God as the means whereby... If they violated his word, they could be forgiven. Two mountains. And as I said last week, what Israel was to do was walk between those two mountains, those two pillars of stone, as a guide for how they were to live. We must understand, therefore, covenant cursing, and we must understand covenant blessing. They are the curbs, like these little bumpers that are out here, that tell you, don't keep pulling up, you're going to hit something. These are the bumpers on the side of the lane that you bowl down when you're very young. These are the training wheels. And the only right response to the law of God read and these declarations of cursing is amen. Now here is the hard reality. The condition of the natural man when he is confronted by the law of God, is not amen, but what? Um, I don't know about that. I, I think I'm going to say amen to something else. What does it mean to add your amen? 
So at Reformation, at the end of every psalm and hymn, if you've not caught on yet after almost 11 years of leading worship, I say amen after every single one except maybe the doxology. And if I forget, you need to help me. And when I say amen, this is, I'm not actually asking you to do this right now, you say amen. And the reason that I say amen at the end of these psalms and sometimes hymns is because we are saying Whatever that said, that's what I'm saying. So whenever children, someone is up here praying, it's not checkout time. It's I need to listen to the words of the man leading prayer, and I need to, in my heart, add my amens. We are of one mind, of one voice, and our minds, our voices, our hearts are to be led by God's word and the only right response, and sometimes God tells us what to do, is to say, amen. Now the reason why this amen was important is not just because we are agreeing with God, but we are agreeing. This was not an individual amen. Just like when we gather for worship and we have a confession of sin, this is not an individual exercise of confession alone. You don't come simply to confess your private sins on Sunday. We come to confess our corporate sins. Our sins as a body for not being faithful and testifying the goodness and grace of God for our misuse of funds that happens whatever sins we commit as a body and bodies commit sins people groups can commit sins 65 million dead unborn children is a great and heinous offense against a holy god and it isn't just the parents of those children who have sinned but it is all who have stood quietly and idly by and given their tacit consent And what we must do as a body of believers is lead the way in saying this is how we must live. We must lobby for righteousness. And we must hear the word of God. And though every one of these sins is a secret sin, what we are doing as a people is saying, woo, these things kind of make my hair stand on end. But one of the tribes, the patriarch, did the very thing they were told not to do by lying with his mother. And so God goes through these lists of things. I'm not going to reread them. But they are all, in essence, secret. And this is the misconception that we always have. In fact, Paul later expands upon this principle and says, whenever someone sins sexually, they don't just sin against another person. They actually sin against themselves. It's suicide. It's moral self-infliction of a wound. Now, the way I heard it best was I heard a talk one time on the rising tide of immorality and hedonism in our culture. And he says, the problem is we do not think this way. This is how we ought to think. Our lives, though personal, are never private. And we should never want them to be set up that way. So on the day of my wedding, I was flanked. My wife, my future wife at the time, my fiancé, were flanked by attendants. 
Those attendants are not there by mere tradition, though that has become the tradition, right? Hey, will you be in my wedding? Will you buy a really expensive dress? No, those attendants are there to do what? To testify, to witness these two people making vows. So if either one of them steps out on the other, there's four guys that I know will jerk a knot in my chain and say, get your life back together. Don't be a fool. And maybe, however women do that, I, don't, I still don't know how women do that, they'll do that to her. <laughs> what are you doing? Flee to the Lord for repentance. And so they're there, all, and not just those attendants, but everyone else is out there listening. And the example this man gave was, gave was something of a wedding, and he announced this sort of uh, principle, and it just struck me deeply. And he said, I was at a wedding. Uh, it, was a, it was one of those destination weddings, and there was a couple down on the, the pool deck, and they were getting married in this beautiful island paradise. And later that night, I saw the groom walking down the hallway of the hotel. What if I saw that groom embracing another woman than the man he had just taken vows to. Our lives are personal, but they're never private. And God has given us to one another, and the law is written here so that all can see it and know it. And we can say, you said amen. I was there. I heard you say it. You may not have meant it, but even if you didn't say it, God still holds you to it because you bear his image. But this is a unique people. This is a people that are in a unique covenant relationship with the Lord, unlike any other nation, and they were to add their amens. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, we spend our whole lives learning to mean it. And that's a process. And it requires a lot of repentance and a lot of trips to the altar, as it were. And so what God is endeavoring to do as Israel is going to the land is to teach them how to conduct their secret lives of holiness in such a fashion that the whole body is blessed. This is why when pastors err, the whole body is afflicted. We are all public persons on some level because we have joined together And especially when you have made vows before God and men to participate faithfully in this church's worship and work. And once you've said, I do, you have settled the argument. It's done. You said amen. And you cannot go back. And you ought not want to go back. In fact, there is threat here as it relates to the law. Really, cursing is threat. If you do this... And God must act out of his righteousness to punish sin. And so by warning, God is pushing the law upon our hearts and pressing it down deep so that we might see there is great, great cursing if we violate his word. Now, on to blessing. Secondly, blessings. Verses 1 through 14 of chapter 28, Moses then begins to open 
for Israel what will happen for them if they live in light of the law of God. If you obey, look at verse 1 of chapter 28, now it shall come to pass if you diligently. That's a very important adjective. Parents, you know the righteous difference. As righteous parents, you know the difference between a child who is diligently seeking to keep the law and occasionally sins and the child who brazenly disobeys the law because they just don't care. You know the difference. You do not expect from any child or from any other human being, although sometimes I think we unjustly expect this of our spouses, which is frankly not right, perfection, to not make mistakes or to err in ways you may understand. Here, the Lord wants Israel to be diligent. Diligent, covenant diligence consists of, remember, two piles of stones. It is knowing the law, heeding it, listening, and doing it. And in the case of disobedience, which all Israelites and every human that's ever lived does, go to the altar. Not hypocritically, but sincerely bringing to the Lord that sacrifice because you know you have broken his law and you plead mercy. Mercy, Lord, mercy. So if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations. Now these are laws for the nation state of Israel to be a kind of nation unlike any other nation. Now this morning, I'm talking about food again. I'm so sorry. I've been told I talk about food too much. It's what I know and love. My daughter, who's eight, was helping my wife make the brownies, which everyone enjoyed, I think, that had them. We took the the pan home, and it was empty, and I was much aggrieved. Well, she pulls this big plastic container of King Arthur flour out of the cabinet. We love King Arthur. That's just what we've always bought. I was told, it's a good flour, so we've always bought it. And I thought, and I thought even this afternoon, what kind of place do you live in when you can go into a wooden box that is in a room that is climate controlled and pull out of that wooden box flour that has already been ground And it doesn't have all these chemicals in it, supposedly. And you can put it into this thing, and you have eggs that came out of the refrigerator and butter that is in these nice formed sticks. Where did that come from? Most Christians could not tell you. Because most Christians don't know their head from a hole in the ground as it relates to where the blessings the providential blessings of God come from. I'm not saying that's you. It has been me. I have squandered time and money and effort not knowing the value of the covenant blessings of God. That flour is in that pantry just like that butter is in the refrigerator because there were certain groups of people who followed the principles of God And designed a place where you could go to a grocery store and not be in fear of your life and exchange currency for goods. Where did all that come from? 
You may be wondering, where are you going? Where does it come from? It is built upon laws and principles that reward honesty and hard work and reject and despise dishonesty and laziness, historically speaking. Except now, what do we see? We see a turn in many cultures today, sophisticated, modern, Western cultures, where you can go into a certain store in a certain city and you can take up to $900 worth of goods and not be prosecuted. You think that city is a blessing to lawkeepers? This is what I want you to think of when you read here, blessing. Blessing. Even today over this fight of whether or not an unborn child has the right to life, there are businesses and there are body politics who will pay you to murder your child. They will give you a stipend to go to a state where you can do it freely. Is that land a blessing to those children? Israel was to be a place where when you entered into her borders, much like the city of Geneva many centuries ago, you were safe. In fact, let's look at the blessings. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle. So what do we find? We find we have people fleeing cities right now. Why? Violence. Why? Because crimes like these are not going, they're going unpunished. The fruit of your body, of herds, and of livestock shall increase. What does that mean? Lots of babies for you and your animals. You shall be blessed in the production of agriculture and food, verse 5. You shall be blessed in safe travel, verse 6. You shall be victorious over your enemies. They will flee from you, verse 7. You will be able to hold fast to your food reserves, verse 8. This is covenantal National blessing that is poured out for those who keep the law. How would you design such a place? Because, guys, we live on the earth. As Christians, we have bodies. We're not only souls. But what we have done, by and large, in the modern-day church is we have become functionally Gnostic. That means we believe that we are just souls waiting for Christ to return. But what if he doesn't return for many years? How shall we live? And even if he does return tomorrow, what have we done with the resources that he has given? Why bake bread for your neighbor? Is it merely to try to coax them to church? A kind of genteel bait and switch? Because it is a blessing to your neighbor to feed them. Because it is of itself a kindness. The church has not only elders, but what? Deacons. 
who simply in the ministry of giving a cold cup of water do God's work. You know, it's not a cold cup of water with a little, you know, hey, by the way, come on, let's go to church. You know, it's here it is. Take this. Your body is made by God. It is a way of showing kindness and offering the relief and the testimony of this great principle. The covenant people of God are what? Look at verse 9. The Lord will, if you, if you follow, if you obey, you will be blessed. He will establish you as a holy people, and your blessedness will be publicly observable. What I mean is this. Um, Christians should be in the business of righteous nation building. Righteous county making. We should be, and I say the business, I mean we should exercise our responsibility to create places where people are not in fear of damage to their souls or to their bodies. The way that Martin Luther said it this way is he said, we need more Christian hangmen. You know what a hangman was? It's someone who literally executed criminals for capital crimes. And he said, this is the reason why. Not only is it allowed within the law of God, but Christians need to be integral to every facet of society because the Christian has within him the Holy Spirit who manifests manifests the righteousness of God in an unrighteous land. And if we wish to be blessed... And if we wish to make the nations jealous, remember who the Queen of Sheba was? Do you know who the Queen of Sheba was? Have you read the Old Testament? (laughs) She went to visit Solomon. Here is the queen of a mighty empire. And she went to visit the king of this tiny little podunk country, Israel, to see how they grew in such wealth. Because what did Solomon do? He took biblical wisdom... And applied it to all of life. What do we call biblical wisdom now? Who is the final word of God revealed? Well, some call it this and say it this way. It is all of Christ for all of life. It is not just Christ for this little cutout, right? This little tiny piece of Lowell or Gastonia. 203 Rhine Oakland Road. But what we do here to make this little society function in peace, we take certain laws and we take those laws and we impress them upon our neighbors so that they may have peace. What else? The Lord will grant you plenty of goods. This is verse 11. And the fruit of your body, and the increase of your livestock, the produce of your ground, and the land of which the, God, the Lord your God swore to your fathers, he will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, and you will be the head and not the tail. There are many Christians who actually like being the tail. They're all over the internet. 
And they talk constantly about being the tail. But that is not God's intention. The intention for the righteous, for those who would keep his law, and it's not the intention, it is the fruit of obedience. If you do this, then the nations will see you and say, what are you doing? In fact, Peter puts a very fine point on this, even in the midst of suffering. Live in such a way that the nations look at you and go, how can you be joyful in the midst of suffering? That the church and the man of God is fully equipped for every good work so that we will lead and we will provide places or a place for all who may come and find relief. Christians must not leave to the godless and the covenant breakers the management of the things that God has given us. If we wish even now to bless our neighbors, to love our neighbors as ourselves, then does it not follow that we ought to apply that which is just and good? How do we do that? Here in closing, quickly, teach your children the earth is the Lord's, that it is their rightful inheritance, that even now they are to lay claim of it through them, lay claim to it through the faithful labors, and that they are to embrace and love their neighbors and to keep covenant with Almighty God, to proclaim Christ as the only way to keep such fellowship of peace and to live, as I've already said, all of Christ for all of life. We actually want these kinds of neighbors, don't we? Those kinds of neighbors? Holy neighbors? And by God's grace, we will be such a people who, hearing the word of God, love it and do it with all our might. Let's pray. Lord.